This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all ready to go? We got a long way to go, so let's get there. All right, um, we are starting a brand new series today called Plot Twist, and really, if I could sum up the 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 idea that this is all wrapped around, it would really be in this statement that life is a lot like a story. If you've been around here, you've you've heard me say this before that life is a lot like a story. That some lives, as you watch them being lived are it, it, it is so epic and awesome that you just sit back and you awe at the story that's being written and there i think is a a great connection between story and our lives and i'm, I'm going to share three of those with you as we get ready to get started if you've been around here before you've heard me talk about this some but for those who haven't I want to catch us all up so we know what we're talking about the first thing is that life and stories both have a beginning a middle and an end and I think that that is one of the most hopeful things to realize see many of you are here today and you look at the story that is represented in your life right now and you think is this it? I hope this isn't it. But you know what? It's not it. Because if you're here, your story is not over. The second thing that I see that is a deep connection between our life and stories that good stories always have great conflict. Okay? Good stories always have great conflict. In, in the same way, I mean, when we go back and look at uh, the guys that we write biographies about, right? I mean, you, you go back and look at Abraham Lincoln and the significant conflict that he faced growing up, the, the multitude of failures that were a part of his life before he, he was ever elected to his first public office, how many times he ran that he was not elected. And this amazing culture shift in the Republican Party that led to his uh, national election. I mean, really, it's remarkable that when we look back at the the best stories that we've ever seen lived out, they they were lived in, in the midst of significant conflict. But we, we don't like conflict very much, do we? As a matter of fact, most of us We'll do anything that we can to avoid conflict. We, we like to be comfortable. As a matter of fact, I, I think that that's what most of us want. Instead of conflict, we want to be comfortable. But good stories always have great conflict. Donald Miller, who's a, an author who writes a lot about this, said that when you look at a good story, good stories always have characters that want something and must overcome obstacles to get it. If they want it and they get it, it's not a good story. And the last thing that I think we could identify there just to make sure we're all on the same page is that great authors write epic stories. There's a, a connection between who's writing the story 
and how good the story is going to be. Some of y'all know that already. That's why when Nicholas Sparks comes out with a new book, you just go and buy it. You don't have to ask about it. You just go. And Nicholas Sparks got a, got a new book, and you know what's going to happen. You know somebody's going to fall in, somebody, in love with somebody, and somebody's going to die. You, you know the story, and you go and buy the book anyway. You know why? Because you have credibility placed in the author. You know, I would say that that factor right there alone is affecting the stories that we're telling with our life the most. Because far too many of us are telling stories that are far below the standard that God would want to share in our lives. This past week, we were sitting around in a small group and we were talking about last week's message. We're talking about um, the benefit that God wants to give us in our relationship with him that we can be satisfied through our relationship with Jesus. You know, the truth is, is that most of us can't experience that. And as a matter of fact, that's what one of our friends in small groups said. Uh, one of our friends in small groups said this. They said, you know, I don't think we can experience this life that we're talking about. Because if you're the typical American that's bought into the typical life of, a, of an American, there's no way that you can embrace this life. And it got me thinking this week when it came to this. I think that most of us are telling the same average story. Most of our lives are telling the same average story. And it's this, that we want more. Because we think if we get more, we'll be comfortable. Whatever more is, more money in the bank account, more friends, more recognition, more influence, I don't know what your more is. But the average person in the United States has mortgaged their life for more. As a matter of fact, statistically, American families spend over 110% of their monthly incomes each month. How do we do that? Credit. And you know, if you think about that, more ends up creating some pretty negative things. To, to have more, I have to work more, I have to be away more, which means that if you're married, all of a sudden there's relational stress that inserts itself into your life. And the average family is stressed about money. Most of you all know that. You know what happens when we need more and we have to spend more time working is that our kids get less. So our kids are farmed out to TVs and iPads. You know, in in the end, most families statistically 
are on a monthly basis living in crisis, especially if you look financially. And I have to tell you that that typical story is not the story that Jesus wants to write through you. It is not the story that Jesus wants to write through you. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this today. Jesus writes good stories. Jesus writes good stories. When we allow Jesus to become the author, he writes good stories through our lives. See, the scriptures, this is in your notes, the scriptures share with us a story that God has been writing. Think about what we said about stories. Stories in life have a beginning, a middle, and an end. How does the Bible open? In the beginning. And it tells us how it's all going to end. Jesus wins. I don't know if you've figured that out yet, right? At the end of all of this, Jesus wins, right? And we're somewhere in the middle of all that. See, Scripture points to us that a story that God has been writing. And the thing that's important is that when, when we try to understand a story, this is the next thing, you know, we, we need to fully understand the characters. To fully understand a story, we have to fully understand the, the characters. See, because it, it, let's use Nicholas Sparks as an example, right? I, I mean, I could tell you, before you ever pick up a Nicholas Sparks book, right? somebody's going to fall in love with somebody that's going to die. It's going to happen in some form or another, right? And you know that. I don't know what kind of sick person goes and buys a book where they know somebody's going to fall in love with each other and then they're going to die. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, but people do that. And you know, but you know why you get engaged in the story? Because you fall for the characters, because you love the characters, you identify with them. You know, we need to understand the characters that are at work in the story that God is writing. Just to share this with you, if you haven't figured this out, in the story that God is writing, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. The Bible is about Jesus. From the very beginning until the end, as a matter of fact, as soon as sin enters the world, from that very moment, the Bible begins to talk about Jesus because God tells the serpent that tricked Adam and Eve, there's a redeemer that is coming that will crush your head. From the very beginning until the very end, the Bible is about Jesus. You know who the bad guy is? Often in Scripture? We are. We're the ones who failed to do what God asked us to do. We're the ones that crucified Jesus. But you know what's amazing about that? Is that even though our sin and our sinfulness is, is the, the evil of the Bible, God doesn't leave us to that. As a matter of fact, he wants to transform us. I would tell you today that he wants to transform your story. And if that's where you are, you need a plot twist. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look specifically at four areas 
that many of us need a plot twist in. And this week we're looking at family. Next week we're looking at our faith. The third week of this series we'll look at our finances. And the last one we're going to look at our future. Because I would go ahead and tell you that when we look at the normal story that's being written, it's killing families. It's killing families. The desire for more and the desire to, to have more money, more acquisition, to, it, it is absolutely robbing families of the life that God wants to write through them. So I'm going to take you to a passage out of Luke 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three consecutive stories about things that were lost. He tells a story as it opens about a shepherd that loses a sheep. Then defying all logic, the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one sheep that was lost. And when he brings it back to the other sheep, he rejoices and has a celebration. Then he tells a story about a woman who loses a coin. Now, many of us don't get this, but in that day, that coin would have been an investment. It, it represented months and months and months of earnings. And so so when she loses that coin, she tears her whole house apart to find that coin. And when she finds it, she has a party to celebrate having found the coin. And then he gets personal and tells a story about a family. He tells a story about a dad who has two sons. We don't know much about the story before Jesus opens it, but based on the character development that we see within the story, it's a, a pretty good dad. And a son, the youngest of the two, goes to his dad. He says, Dad, I'd like my inheritance. Now, it's not uncommon in the world that we live in now for inheritance and estates to be settled when you know someone's dying ahead of time. Okay, that's pretty common now. Uh, so that the parents can enjoy watching the, the kids enjoy the, the fruits of their lifelong labors. But in those days, what happened in that moment was a really big insult. All right. It was as if he went to his father and said, I, I don't care about you. As a matter of fact, really, the only thing that you're good to me is dead. That's it. So if, if you could just give me my inheritance, I'd like to be done with you. I mean, really probably one of the most significant insults. And it wasn't an easy ask either. I mean, today we would go to the bank and withdraw the cash. All right? In those days, their wealth was, was held in land and livestock. And so the father would have had to liquidate assets to generate cash. And he did. And the way that uh, a portion would have been decided is they would have taken the whole value and divided it by the number of sons plus one. All right? The older son got... A, a double portion. So in this case, being two, there would have been divided into a third, and so he would have got a third of the estate in cash. In the Bible, as Jesus tells the story, tells us that he leaves home, goes to a faraway country, and parties until he's broke. Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience, and so where he goes with it makes a lot more sense to them to, than it does to us. I'm just going to explain it. He tells, he tells his audience that eventually he's so broke 
that he has to get a job feeding pigs. Now, for a Jew, a pig is, is an unclean animal. They wouldn't, they wouldn't not, not just eat it, they wouldn't touch it. So he is now sunk to the point where the only job that he can get is feeding pigs, and he is so hungry because he's so broke that he wants to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs. This guy is at the bottom of the rung. So we catch up with him. Luke 15, verse 17. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And he makes a plan. As a matter of fact, the story experiences a plot twist in that moment. Because all all of us have known people who have been addicted, who have been uh, just overly invested in a sinful lifestyle that they never got out of. And that lifestyle ended up destroying their health and families and they died because of what they did. But here is a plot twist. When he came to his senses. And you know what he said? I'm going to go back because my father's servants have food. His intention was to go back and to be a servant to his dad knowing that he had already ruined the relationship. He had mortgaged that relationship for cash. And I love how Jesus tells the moment that the son comes home. Luke 15, beginning in verse 20. While he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see the plan at the moment that he had the plot twist was that he might just be a servant for his dad. But you see, when Jesus starts writing a story, it always gets a little bit better than we could ever write it because the son was not received as a servant. The son was received as a son. And I love how Jesus tells that story, that while he was still a long way off. See, you don't see someone from a long way off unless you're looking for them. And he saw his son and he didn't wait for him to come. He ran out to him and embraced him. You know, sin destroyed that family. Sin destroyed that family. A son who took a third of the inheritance, literally a third of the wealth of the entire family, and went and blew it, bankrupted himself. But he returned home as a plot twist happens to be received and restored 
See, that's what the Father does. The Father begins to, in us, when we, in humility, come to our senses, he starts to write a story through us that we could never write on our own. So today what I want to do is I want to give you three keys to help you write a better story in your family. Three keys to a plot twist. Okay, the first one that's in your notes is we need to accept that happy is a bad goal. We need to accept that happy is a bad goal. If you're on Facebook and you're my friend on Facebook, I'm going to post a TED Talk later today. I'd love for you to watch it. So I'm parenting and not worrying about if our kids are happy or not. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Is that, that in, in that, the, this researcher says that most parents will identify that their number one goal is for their kids to be happy. And we will mortgage our lives as parents, to try to create happy kids. But you know what's bad about happy? Happy's a moving target. And too many of us will overextend our lives for something that is only situational. You see, the Bible does promise satisfaction. It does promise that, that if we will devote ourselves to Jesus, that we will be satisfied in life. But satisfied isn't happy. And the Bible does promise that we can be joyous in all things. The Bible tells us that God wants to give us joy. But listen to this. Joy is not happiness. As a matter of fact, I would describe joy as a condition of our souls. And happiness is circumstantial. I think one of the most sacred places that we see this is all of us have been to funerals where there was a joy that was present because we knew the person that was loved had went on to be with Jesus. Now, there was sadness there, but there was joy. If you ever go to a funeral where people are happy, <laughs> not a good moment. I'm just saying, all right? All right? I don't want people to be happy when I'm dead. <laughs> all right? That would probably mean that something not real good is going on, right? But there's joy, even in the midst of sadness. And when we say, I, wanna, I just want to be happy in my relationship with my spouse. Really? Ain't always going to work that way. But you can't be satisfied. You can't be satisfied because Jesus can satisfy you. Your spouse can. You can't experience joy because you can trust God with it. And when we say we want our kids to be happy, all too often, you know what that means? We want to give them something nice. Right? And nice is too often defined the way that Michael Scott in the office described the quality of a Christmas present. That you can tell how good a Christmas present is by the number of dollars that are represented in that Christmas gift. Right? That's just too many of us weigh things out that way. But you've been there. If you're a parent, you've been there because you've spent hundreds of dollars on a Christmas present that they open and set to the side, and then for the next eight hours, they play with a $1.50 yo-yo 
All right? Happiness is a moving target. And if you set that as a goal in life, you're setting yourself up to fail. Number two, time translates into love and influence. Time translates into love and influence. That's with your spouse, that's with your kids, that's with anyone in your family. Time translates into love and influence, so much so that um, the great book, The Ten Love Languages, lists that out as one of those uh, great ones that's there. And the last one that I would tell you is that we need to place Jesus at the center of our family. We need to place Jesus at the center of our family. If you want to generate a plot twist in your family, Jesus has to become the center of your family. Too many of us have allowed something else to become the center. We've let possessions become the center. We've let activities become the center. We've let our jobs as parents or as spouses become the center of everything. And when Jesus becomes the center of your family, everything is transformed. You see, with Jamie and Alicia, we we see the, the practical example that comes out of Deuteronomy 6, where I told you that time translates into love and influence. You know, now in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, the Bible says this, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands as Moses is retelling the Ten Commandments. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed, And when you are getting up and you heard Jamie say, the biggest change is that I'm just there. I'm there. And every night when they put their kids down, they they pray with them to think. I mean, this this is a family that would tell you that growing up they didn't go to church at all. I mean, two two years ago, like they had never opened a Bible. And they're praying with their kids now. And going over the memory verses that our kids are learning in Vortex Kids. If you want a plot twist, it comes from Jesus. Let's pray. So today, God, we just look to you. And as many of us have been the the younger son that has destroyed our families because all we wanted was more. God, we, we, we took our families and put them on the altar of more and sacrificed them. We recognize that by your grace and mercy, when you get involved in the story, you can rewrite it. And so today, God, even though some of us come in discouraged and lost and broken, we, we pause because we believe that you can rewrite these stories. With nobody looking around, I want everybody to 
close their eyes and bow their heads, I want to ask you an important story. Question. Who's writing your story right now? See, the only way you can experience a plot twist, the only way your life is ever going to be a great story is by you putting the pen down and stopping writing it. You being the person that relents from being the author of your own story. If you are the author, it's not going to go very well. But maybe today you would say, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of getting myself into these positions over and over again. I'm tired of writing this bad story. I want Jesus to come and to change the story. Maybe today it might just be specifically for your family. That you're tired of the story that's been going on in your family. and You want Jesus to come and to be the plot twist that your family needs. If that's you and you're here right now and just between you and Jesus, you say, I'm tired of writing my own story. I want you to write it. Would you raise your hand right now? I'm tired of writing my own story. Jesus, I want you to write it. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? So God, for those that would say to you today that they're tired of writing their own stories, I just ask that you come and by your mercy and grace take the pen out of their hands and start writing a story that only you could write through them. And for all of us, God, we just humbly confess that we get it wrong so much. But God, we know that you can get it right. And so we thank you that you don't leave us That's the villain in the story that you come and redeem us. God, thank you for inviting us into your story that you want to use us to make a difference in this world. And so, God, we we just ask you to come and to empower us to do that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.